I'm glad you've joined us here today at Vertical Church. For those who are joining us online, we welcome you as well this special morning as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus for us. You know, God has given the church some special moments that are designed to build our faith and grow us together. Those are moments where we gather intentionally together and in those moments, Jesus has promised to show up in special and powerful ways. Amen? There's power in that togetherness. You've experienced that, I know, in your life at times when you've gathered to worship with other believers. And all of a sudden, there was this very clear presence of God in the room because you were gathered in his name for the purpose of worship. I'm sure you've experienced that when you've gathered with others in the name of Jesus and you've prayed, and all of a sudden there was a very unique, rich, and powerful sense that God is in this space. It's because he has promised that when we gather in his name, he is there. Baptism is another one of those experiences that we'll talk more about in the weeks ahead. But today, we come to the place of communion a place that is also a rich and powerful moment for believers, for us, to be challenged, to be changed, and to sense the very presence of God in our midst. And it is powerful what the Word of God and the Spirit of God does in our lives. Amen? To take a soul that has been filled with guilt and anxiety depression and fear, I'm talking about myself, and to bring that soul to life by his grace and fill me with hope and confidence and peace and passion. Only God can do those kind of things. To take someone who has been filled with bitterness and anger and to free them with forgiveness for what they've done and for what someone else has done. To take the one who has walked in legalism, trying to make themselves perfect before God, trying to be good enough to receive some favor from God, and then recognize that grace comes by faith alone. And to be set free from all the perfectionism and anxiety that comes with that lifestyle. That's what the Word of God can do and the Spirit of God does. He brings power and faith and life to bring us to new places in our life in him. And as we grow and understand who we are in him, he brings us to even greater places of power and strength. And then that is even exponentially multiplied when we gather together. Mm. When one person who's experienced that grace by faith gathers with someone else who's experienced that grace by faith, boom, something electric, explosive, powerful, spiritual happens. God is in that space. Mm. We've been thinking about that for several weeks, and we conclude our series today with a look at the power of communion, the exponential power of communion. So when Jesus was gathered with his disciples and he began the first night of what we call communion. He was gathering with his disciples at a time when there was much tension in the culture. He was gathering with them at a time when there was much pressure on him and on them 
from the culture. He was gathered with these men, a very small number of men, 12 gathered in the room. It would only be 11 before the night was over who would be there to walk out with him. And these 11, Jesus would empower with the ability to stand up against the power of Rome, to stand up against the power of the Jewish leaders in that day, to stand up against the very forces of demonic evil itself. Eleven men against innumerable odds, Jesus would fill them with the power that they would need that night. And he would do it through the very same experience that you and I are about to partake of today. That's encouraging, amen? That you and I are about to do the very same thing that they did. And you might say, well, that was a long time ago in a very different place and a very different time. And I would remind us all that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So Jesus is right here with us today. We are about to partake of this, just like those disciples did with Jesus in the room. I'm encouraged already. Amen. There is exponential power in communion. So Jesus would fill these 11 men that night with such great power and force that they would become the ones who would take the gospel and they would begin the New Testament church. We are here today because those 11 men received what Jesus gave them that night. That gives me hope. So tonight, to this morning, I would say let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11, if you have your Bible, um, or a digital Bible, an app, whatever you've got. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we are going to be reading today. And here we're going to see what the Apostle Paul said on a day in which he also was facing much persecution, in which he was facing much reaction, in which he would gather with a young church who was feeling the pressure from the culture. You know, I've been thinking in some ways about how we are like them. The New Testament church wasn't always in a place of favor. You read the stories, you find that the leaders didn't always end up in such a good place. John's on a prison island called Patmos. Others are killed, crucified, upside down, martyrs for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it was because they refused to conform to the culture. The culture of the day in much of the New Testament was cities filled with idols. Every corner, there's a temple. And the, the cultural norm of the day, the narrative of the day was the gods are angry. Everybody needs to go and sacrifice to the gods. If you do not, things will not go well for us. Go to the temples. Go and offer your sacrifices. And these New Testament believers said, 
you know, there is only one God. There is one Jesus who has come, has given his life for us. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. We bow our knee to no one but him. And they said, well, if you don't play the game like we say, then you will pay like we say. These New Testament believers were gathered in a time of great concern culturally. They weren't popular. They stood out. They went a different path. So when Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 11, I want you to understand some of the angst that they were feeling. And I don't know about you, but I feel some of that angst in the air today. I feel this tension rising. I feel this resistance. I feel this pointing of a finger looking for the guilty party somewhere in the culture and it sometimes feels like it lands on us. So I can confidently say we have something in common with these believers and it gives us a a greater sense of appreciation for what we're about to read. Because what we're about to participate in has exponential power for us today. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes and says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took Bread. I'm going to pause right here. We're going to do this one verse at a time this morning. Paul says, I'm passing on to you what the Lord himself gave me. That there was a night when he met with his own. And in that night, he took bread. He had an intimate, close fellowship meal experience with these disciples. And he said, what to you in Corinth and to us today... What you're about to experience is the same thing. It's not any less because we sit down the generational line for that same Lord is here in the room with us today. And he is at the table with us today. And he has come to fellowship with us today. And he's come asking us to draw near today. He comes not to condemn, but he calls us to his side for we are his bride. Amen? Verse 24, it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So that night Jesus held up a piece of bread that I believe was much like this. Now here in Texas we don't say this is bread. We say, that's a cracker, right? It's an awful big cracker. But the, um, these New Testament believers and the disciples themselves would have recognized this as bread. Jewish history, and I believe scripture teaches this is more what the bread looked like that they were about to take. And he said, Jesus said, this is symbolic of my body. What you're about to experience is, is an experience in which I want you to understand this is what has happened for me and to me. It's interesting about this bread that 
it is, like I said, a, a cracker, very thin. It's made without leaven. Uh, Bible word for what we think of as yeast in our day. It's what makes the bread fluffy and light and airy and oh so delicious, right? But this bread, as by the Old Testament, instructions was made without leaven, which was a symbol of sin. And so they understood that, these disciples did, being Jewish history, that the bread was without leaven. And now Jesus was saying, this bread is like me. I am without sin. I have come to be the sacrifice, sinless sacrifice for you. Some of the things about this bread that's interesting is that uh, if you held it up to the light, you would see that it is pierced. It has holes all the way through it. It's part of the baking process. We know that Jesus' body was also pierced. His hands and his feet this bread teaches that lesson. We also know, as you look at this bread, that um, by the way it's baked and because of the holes, it also has the appearance of what appears to be stripes. We know from history that Jesus was whipped and whipped and beaten and would fulfill the prophecy which Isaiah would say, and by those stripes, we are healed. And so when Jesus held up this bread and made the connection for the disciples, it was one of those moments of the light bulb going off and new faith arising and Jesus saying, I want you to understand the depth of what you're about to take in. My body broken for you. The fact that he said he's without leaven is fascinating on a lot of different levels, but especially because of the fact that Jesus would be arrested, taken to prison, taken from trial to trial, and be accused and accused, falsely accused, falsely accused, falsely accused, falsely condemned, and then would suffer the punishment for crimes that he had not committed. And with all of it, he would not say a word. He did not lash out, ridicule, condemn, say, this is not right, this is not fair, why are you doing this? Instead, he would willingly submit himself as a servant to the very punishment that he did not deserve. Now that just goes all over us, right? Nobody today or ever likes to be accused of something you didn't do and have to pay the price for something that someone else did. But this is the love of Jesus for us. With every lash with every moment of pain, he would bear it because he would look down through eternity and see us. And it would be out of immense love. So when Jesus said to them, take and eat, this is my body. 
It was this beautiful, powerful, exponential picture of love. I don't know about you, but when I am feeling unloved in my life, I am far more insecure and less willing to do anything. Anybody relate? You know, when you feel rejected, not accepted in a group of people, and uh, maybe, you know, like you don't measure up or you're, you failed and, or whatever it might be, when you feel unloved, you feel extremely weak. But the opposite is also true. When I feel loved, watch out. I can do great things. I can have the world against me, but if I've got Heather beside me and she's saying, I love you, I'm so proud of you, I'm like, come on, let's take on the world. You know, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. And when my family is with me in that or a whole church is gathered together in that kind of thing, and when I know God loves me, watch out. That's where it becomes exponentially powerful. So this morning, when, you're, when you take in this bread this morning that you're going to have, Know how much you're loved in this moment. Perfect love cast out fear and ignites you with the power to accomplish whatever God has put before you. Amen? All right. We're just getting started here. Let's go on. Uh, verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So there was a cup available at the table, and Jesus takes the cup, and in it is a juice. It's beautiful. And Jesus is going to give it to them, and he's going to say this represents something different. This represents a covenant, a new covenant. These disciples would have understood an old covenant. They would have understood the covenant that had been in place for a long time in which the law condemned man in his sin, in which the law gave a prescription for that sin, in which lambs or other sacrifices were to be brought to the tabernacle or temple, and there they were to be offered up by the priest for the sins of the people, and there they could know their sins had been forgiven. But in the old covenant, there was a continual remembrance of sin. You had to keep up with it so that once a year when the sacrifices were made, you could have your sacrifice for your sins. Mm, that'd be a terrible thing, keep up with all your sins all the time, wouldn't it? Carry around a list of those and keep up with them and think back on them and remember what happened there and bear the guilt and the shame and the weight of all of that. And it'd be great once you finally offered a sacrifice and then it would be removed from you, like, whoo, okay, that was awesome. Well, here we go again, you know, day one. And you, you keep up with the whole weight of it and you look at that now and you think, well, that'd be crazy ridiculous. How many times? Have you and I walked today in the guilt of some sin that happened last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago, 
20 years ago, 30 years ago. You are still remembering what happened back there as though it happened today and you're carrying the weight of it. You remember it and you feel the shame of it. You feel the fear associated with it and you carry it around like a heavy weight in your life. And Jesus said, that's what I came to free you from. Stop carrying around the weight and be free. This is a new covenant, amen? This is a new day, amen, amen. So Jesus comes and he says, I'm I'm instituting something brand new. I have come, as John the Baptist described him and said, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus would come to be the fulfillment of the picture of every Lamb that had come before. Now, I want you to turn to another passage this morning. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. This will be important in the scheme of what Jesus is saying here. Hebrews, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 9. Here in this passage, uh, it's a reference to this idea of the covenants. And I want you to see the power of God's word here and what Jesus accomplished. It's talking about Jesus in verse 9. And it says, then he said, Jesus said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Look at this. He takes away the first, referred to the covenant, that he may establish the second. On that night, Jesus was establishing, putting in place a brand new covenant, a new arrangement, a new agreement. It's not like it was before. This is something brand new. Make sure you get this, disciples. Make sure you get this, church. Make sure we get this, church, a new covenant. He goes on and says, um, he takes, verse 10, by that will, Jesus, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once. Jesus came as the Lamb of God to pay the price once. Jesus hasn't been dying every year for sins like those lambs had been offered every year for sins. He said, I have come and I have finished the picture. I have established a new way that you will relate to God from now on. When you receive what I have done by faith, you have been forgiven. And the word used here is sanctified. You have been set apart and declared blameless. And you say, I don't feel very blameless. And I say, faith don't care about your feelings. It's not what you feel. It's what faith tells us. It's not about how you woke up this morning. It's how he rose up on that morning out of the tomb. Verse 11, he says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They never did. They were only pictures of the one who would come. And just side note, all your good behavior, all your best days, all your attempts at coming to church and being holy and reading your Bible and praying and doing all that good stuff, that doesn't take away your sins either. 
You can't take away your sins. Only Jesus can. And the only way to experience that is to enter into what he's done and rest in him. It's a new covenant. It's a new day. All things are different. Verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. I have to read that part again. Forever. One more time. Forever sat down at the right hand of God. You don't sit down until your work's done. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You and I are in the process of becoming more like Jesus, but he has already done the work of forgiving and releasing you from your sin. Hmm. Verse 15, the writer of Hebrews brings it all forward for us. He says, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant, this new covenant, that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, and aren't you glad he adds this? Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In the new covenant, once you accept it by faith, that list that you want to keep, that list you think that he keeps, is gone. It's not there. He's not holding it against you. He's not making you pay for it. It was finished, eradicated, removed from your account in Christ. This is a new covenant and a new day. Amen? Amen. So don't come today thinking this is a day of, oh no, you've come to a day of, oh my. This is a day to remember. You might remember some sins. Please remember the sacrifice for those sins on this day. All right, I'm back over to 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 26. Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. You're proclaiming the gospel today. This experience is designed to help you see how much you're loved. This experience is designed to help you see how much freedom and forgiveness there is in Christ. This experience is designed to help you know that you're about to proclaim the gospel by your very actions. And then he, then he gives us some instruction. Paul tells us something that Jesus didn't tell the disciples, but he's been inspired by the same spirit that filled, the Jesus, or filled Jesus in with the disciples. So we trust this. Amen. Verse 27. Therefore... Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Hmm. Paul says it's possible to come to this experience today and approach it in the wrong way. You could come at this experience today and treat it lightly, as though it really didn't have significance. That would be an unhealthy way of approaching this today. You could come at this today as though this were part of a 
a religious routine that you just do if you're a Christian. That would be the wrong way to come at this today. We are about to experience something far greater than just some religious ritual. You could even come at this today as a moment that condemns you, that makes you feel worse about who you are as a child of God. If that's how you're approaching this today, you're doing the very thing that this piece of scripture warns us not to do. Don't eat and drink judgment to yourself. Do not eat and drink this as though God is condemning you. Now, you most likely are already feeling some conviction today. The Lord is just bringing to your heart and mind some things that you know are not right in your life. But remember what this event is. This is about the love of God for you and the forgiveness of God for you. So if you are feeling the conviction, match that with some confession and you'll experience some freedom. That's what this moment is about. This moment is not to free you. I don't want you to walk out of here. The Spirit of God doesn't want you to walk out of here with your head hung low. God has given us this experience so that here we might be built up, strengthened, closer, and enriched by what he has done for us so that we remember. Now, sadly, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, some people have come at this the wrong way. They drink condemnation to themselves. They drink guilt to themselves. And as a result, verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. He said, some within your own church there in Corinth have participated in this, but because they've come at it wrongly, they've left filled with guilt and more condemnation, and it is causing some problems for them. It is causing them to be physically ill. They are experiencing physical sickness because of an emotional response to a spiritual truth. If you respond rightly to this beautiful spiritual truth, it'll bring life to you. It'll free you. If you respond wrongly to this spiritual truth, it will actually cause greater anxiety, guilt, condemnation, fear, and those all and always have an effect on our physical bodies. So don't leave here today approaching this wrongly. Leave here with an experience that frees you and reminds you of the depth of God's love for you. Verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. In other words, if we would take this moment and say, God, what do you want to show me? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to free me from in my life? What attitudes, thought processes, activities, 
Do I need to be freed from? This is what the Lord does with us. If we would do that, we would not have to walk in condemnation. We could walk in freedom. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. God is wanting to increase your faith and to shape you into the very character of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a holy, gracious thing that God would choose to show sinners grace and cause us to be transformed to think, feel, and be like Jesus himself. This is what he's doing. And he will discipline, correct, shape, guide us to that place. But the way Paul finished it, he says, um, when we're judged, we're chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Paul finishes this little section here with a mention of the world. Those far from Christ. You know, there always has been and there is today people who don't understand what we are doing this morning. In fact, they are opposed to what we are doing this morning. They are in great opposition to this. The message of the gospel will always be in opposition to the ways of the world. I have to remind myself of that often. As I watch the news today, I don't have to remind myself as much. It just comes real present to me. Until the day that Jesus returns, there's not ever going to be a moment where the whole world says, Oh, church, we love you. You are so awesome. We love your message and just are grateful for you. And you have all the answers and please help us. Never has been. Never will be that way. When Jesus talked to his own disciples, he said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. So you can expect reaction, persecution from them because they don't understand this. In fact, uh, Jesus quoted a passage from the Old Testament. He said, They've hated me without a cause. In other words, they hate me and it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't logically make sense why they would hate me. Has anybody listened to the news lately and thought, this doesn't make sense? Every day. The world does not get this. And unless the gospel penetrates their hearts and the spirit of God brings them to life, they won't. When Jesus was gathered with his disciples and they were having this moment, the tension would be so thick in the room. The tension would be so thick in the culture of the day that when the disciples were all there and listening to Jesus, Jesus would say, the hand of my betrayer is on the table with me. I can imagine some of those disciples like, 
But Judas was at the table. He was at the table where the communion bread and juice were. He was at the table of this rich, powerfully intimate moment. Taking in the bread, the love of God for us, taking in the juice, this new covenant with Jesus, does not keep us from being persecuted by the world. In fact, it just makes us more persecutable because we believe something that they don't get, that they are in complete reaction to. And in all of this, Jesus was saying to his disciples, the Father loves you. There's a new covenant that frees you. I am with you. And they may be against you, but when God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so with all of this, the Apostle Paul said, so let us make the most of this moment. Let this fill you. Let it convict you. Let it bring you to confession, but let it bring you to a place of receiving forgiveness. Let it draw you near. Let it fill you with strength so that you walk out of this space with greater hope and confidence and closeness than you've ever experienced before. Now, in your chair when you came in are these lovely little cups. We've done our best to create an experience today that will help you feel safe, sanitary, and spiritual at the same time. So you'll notice on one side is the juice on the top side. If you flip it over, you notice there's a piece of bread there. I'm going to ask you to hold on to these for just a moment. I'm going to pray and then we're going to take some time to just pray as a, as a church for you to pray alone in your area or pray with a spouse or friend if you would like. Caleb and Rachel are going to sing a song. And this is going to be a time for us to examine ourselves, ask the Lord to examine us. And remember, this is not a time of condemnation. This is a time of confession and cleansing. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for Jesus. I'm so grateful for experiences like this that fill us with hope, that fill us with a moment of repentance and change, that we might be brought closer, that we might be changed ourselves that we might find greater hope, peace, and confidence as we walk out into a world today that is in desperate need of your good news. Father, speak to us during this time. Do your work in us. We will be sensitive to respond. And we pray in Jesus' name.